And we just finished this long litany of famous characters in the Old Testament. And then he said, I don't have time to mention everybody. That's said a few weeks ago, that means he must have been a Baptist preacher because he didn't have time to finish his sermon. And so he said, so there are others who received victories and conquered kingdoms and closed the mouths of lions. And he finishes in verse 35 by saying, women received their dead. They were raised to life again. And then what I believe is probably the most important period in all of the New Testament is the one that follows right there. He says, women received their dead. They were raised back to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Wouldn't it be great if our faith always ended in victory? But by the world standards, sometimes it doesn't. But it is no less faith. This past week, some of us feel like we suffered a tremendous defeat at the hands of five men and women who determined that a spiritual definition would have legal ramifications but the word of God has not changed word of God ever true I feel like this is the time for me as your pastor to deliver a message on what we believe to be the biblical basis for the issues that we're facing regarding same-sex relationships and marriage. And so on Sunday night, the 12th of July, I'd like for you to come. I'd invite you to bring friends if you would like, including friends who may not agree with you. We would welcome them to hear the truth of God's Word. On July the 12th at 6 o'clock, I would love for us to fill our sanctuary so that, first of all, we can hear clearly what God's Word says. We can know in our own hearts what we believe to be the truth of God's Word, and then also, I pray, give us an avenue to be able to share with others in a civil, compassionate, grace-filled conversation what we believe the Bible says about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. So I invite you to be here. Mark your calendar now for Sunday night, June, uh, July the 12th. This will be July the 12th at 6 o'clock. For now, though, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3. This morning in Bible study, you were, we were studying chapter 4. I don't normally get things out of order like that, but uh, our Bible study material kind of skipped over chapter 3, and so I felt like it would be good for us to go back and hear what John has to say in that, pa- in that wonderful chapter. We're not going to be able to do the whole chapter, of course. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. I hope you're not growing weary. We've been four weeks in the book of 1 John. As both your pastor and as just a fellow believer in the walk, I have committed myself to taking the 12 minutes it takes to read the entire book of 1 John every day. And this will be the 28th day. And I hope that you're doing some similar, at least reading. Uh, someone suggested, and we took your advice, that somewhere in your in your connections there is a little box that says what next week's text will be so you can begin this week reading Sharon and I and the boys will be going on vacation next Sunday Pastor Darrell will be preaching bringing the message next Sunday night we will not have services it being a holiday weekend I know a lot of you will be away and so we'll not have evening service on July the 5th Um, but we will have morning service of course as usual and Pastor Darrell will be preaching from the book of 2nd John the lengthy book of 2nd John all 14 verses of it so uh, 14 15 how many is it Darrell Three, three verses? Oh, 13 verses, okay. 
we are the sons and daughters of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are His children. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, accepted the payment that He made out of His heart of love for us, surrendered our lives to Him as Savior and Lord, have been grafted into God's family. But think of who we were before that transaction took place. We sat by the dusty roadside of our lives, our clothes, which were once beautiful in our pride, now reduced to tatters and shreds that barely covered the undergarments that themselves only barely can cover our shame. Our clothes hang off of our emaciated bodies. Our skin dappled and potted by the mud and the dirt that is dried on us. Our hair, for those of us that have hair, matted and dirty. We look at ourselves and say, how, how did I get in this shape? How did I become this kind of person? I, we look at ourselves and the smell of our own body extends around us for several feet so that people can smell us even before they draw near to us. We are wretched. The smell of our own bodily fluids staining us. Our clothes barely hang on us anymore. Our shoes have to be filled with cardboard so that our feet will still fit in them. The sun bakes our skin until we find a place where there's a little bit of shade for shelter. And so we stand on wobbly legs and with a false pride throw what little remaining rags of clothes we have around us and walk ourselves to a place where we can sit and find a moment of shelter. But as we walk by a storefront window, we gaze at our reflection and we recognize that any pride that we might would have is false and empty and vain and useless. We are wretched and poor and pitiable and naked and blind and lost. Oh, so lost. And in our frustration and in the realization, we throw our faces up toward the steely sky and we cry out, Why? Why am I like this? Why did I make the choices that I made? There is no hope for me. There is nothing that I can do. This is who I am. I cannot change myself. And then in the midst of our pitiful Cry out for someone to listen and hear us. We hear like a clap of thunder, which at the same time is as soft as a lover's whisper. The two words. But God. 
turn and we look over our shoulder. And there above us we see one standing, looking down at us, his clothing not tattered and torn and filthy and odorous like ours, but instead clothed in white. Clothed in an almost blinding brilliance. We had forgotten that anything could be so white, so clean. And he looks down at us, his hair clean and flowing around his face. The sun behind him like a halo enshrining him. And we can't even see his face, but we know he must look down on us with disdain and disgust, but instead with a sound of a voice that is filled with grace and compassion. He says, my child, I love you. And we, we clench our fists at those words. There's no one that can love us. We cannot love ourselves. We are so totally lost and bereft and unhelpless, unhelpful. And there's nothing that we can do. And he reaches out and puts a hand on our shoulder. And we flinch at the touch of that clean, pristine hands. And he says, beloved, my father has sent me to you. And I have this bag of clean clothes and this pan of clear water and this soft linen rag to wipe and clean your filth. We don't dare turn and look to see if it's true, but then we suddenly feel the coolness of a wet cloth against the back of our neck as he begins to wipe. And as he wipes our shoulders and our arms, he allows the rags of our formerly beautiful clothing just slip off of our arms and down off of our back and he wipes us clean he reaches around and begins to wipe our shoulders and our chest and now we begin to realize that it's true that he has come to make us something that we could not make ourselves and he takes the water and pours it over our heads and we feel it drip around our faces and down onto our midsections and he wipes his hands through our hair taking the dirt out and cleansing us and then he moves to our legs and again the ragged tatters come off we don't even realize that we're all but naked in front of him because suddenly he is that nurse that is cleaning us and cleansing us he wipes our feet and then he takes ointment and begins to put it in the places that have become sored and blotched and filled with pus from our filth and our living out in the wild of the world and he takes a robe and he wraps it around us and then a belt is wrapped around our waist and we can smell the freshness of the sun of clothes that was taken off of a clothesline we feel the soft touch of linen on our skin And we open our eyes and we look and no longer is he standing over us. He is squatted down next to us, the tears pouring out of his face. And a smile as he sees us finally eye to eye. And he says, you see, I'm your brother. You were lost. And our father sent me to find you. That debt that debt that you owed that you never could pay. I've paid that debt for you. The bill is gone. The debt is paid. 
And you look at him and you say, but, but I'm an only child. I, I have no father. I have no brothers. I have no sisters. Why do you call me your brother? He said, because it's not enough that I've come and paid your penalty. I've paid your debt. Our father has sent me to tell you, and I have right here, the certificate of adoption. You are now part of my family. My father is infinitely rich. He has everything you could ever need and endlessly more. And if you will just take this certificate, you will in truth be his child. You take the certificate in your hands and sure enough, there is your name in beautiful golden calligraphy. Steve Neal is now and forevermore the legal son of Jehovah, Yahweh God, the God of the universe. His own signature making it so. And you look into the face of your newly discovered oldest brother and you say, is it really true? I'm really his son now. And he smiles. And through the tears, he says, oh yes. Yes. Forever and ever, you are his child. This is what John tries to help these believers understand when he says, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And then, regardless of what translation you have, the next words are as emphatic as the English language can make it, but it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the original language. He, it's almost as if he grabs you by the shirt and says, and so we are! We are His children. This is not just some title. This is not just some honorific name. This is not just some formality. This is not just some legal definition. We are His children forever and forever. So many of us go through our Christian lives with this idea that some transaction has been made on our behalf. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And that payment creates a legal, juridical transaction where our sins are forgiven and we are made right with God. But then we have this heartbreakingly wrong assumption that that means that now we just do the best we can and move on and do our best until Jesus comes to take us home. Oh, beloved. How empty that promise is if that's all that there is to it. There's so much more. We've been adopted into his family, made his sons, made his daughters. But now I must stop. Because the next thing I'm going to say to you in some of your minds will be a mystery. And yet I believe it is as true as anything that I've ever said to you in these last almost 10 years with you as one of your pastors. If you glance in your Bible down to verse 9, there's an interesting statement. To this point, we're all in agreement, I hope, 
Yes, we have been justified freely by Christ's death on our behalf on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sin, as we learned this morning in Bible study. He has paid the penalty. Now he has adopted us into his family. But you know as well as I do, I have a dear, dear friend whose mother was divorced, and her father, her mother remarried another man, and the day after the wedding, they began the proceedings so that he could adopt her as his own daughter. Four children later, he still would say, these are my five children. There was never any differentiation. He loved her as he loved his own daughter. And yet, in her heart, she still knew that he wasn't really her dad. He was legally, but he wasn't really her father. And if you're an adopted child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're an adopted parent, you've gone through the pain of what I'm talking about. But John reveals a mystery in verse 9. And I am here on his authority to share that mystery with you this morning. In verse 9 of 1 John chapter 3, he says these words. Everyone who has been born of God does not continue in sin. That is actually literally the tense that is used. It doesn't mean that you never commit any sin. It means you do not continue in sin. Everyone who has been born of God does not continue in sin because his what? His seed remains in him. You know what the word seed is in the Greek? You want to know? The word is sperma. Behold, I show you a mystery. God does something that no adoptive human father can ever do. He literally takes his seed. Now, I don't, please understand, we're speaking spiritually, of course. He takes his seed and he implants it into us so that we are not just legally his children, we are spiritually his children. We are fully of man. And yet we also have the DNA of God implanted into our very being. And now all of this makes sense. Now you understand why at the end of verse 1 he says, the reason the world doesn't know you is because it doesn't know him. He says, dear friends, we are God's children now. Now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We won't be equivalent with him any more than my sons are equivalent with me, but my DNA resides in them, and you can see me and hear me and watch my mannerisms as you watch Reese and Sam. Because they have the DNA now of two people in them. And so do you. You say, well, now, Pastor, you're getting all worked up. I just love it when you get all emotional like this. We all know the Holy Spirit lives in us. We know the Holy Spirit resides in us. Let me tell you why this has been such a revelation. Let me tell you why I have wept for four days over this passage. Not every minute of four days, of course, but I, like you, was brought up understanding what it means for the Holy Spirit to live in us. But it was almost like a guest that had come into my home to be my guide. He comes into my life to guide me, to teach me, to help me. But I always kind of saw him as a visitor. Maybe that's the way you view him. 
He comes. He dwells to help you. That's what Jesus said in John. But all of a sudden, in the Gospel of John, but all of a sudden here, John says, no, 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 no. There's more to it. It's not that he lives in you as an interloper that comes in to walk with you. He literally becomes a part of you. God's seed is planted in us. It is an inoculation. No, no, no. It is an incarnation. It's not just an adoption. It is an incarnation. God's very nature is implanted into us. And so as we walk through life, we have these choices to make. Am I going to follow the nature of my earthly father or am I going to follow the nature of my heavenly father? When I follow the nature of my earthly father, we call that falling away or backsliding or whatever phrase, falling away, prodigal. When I follow the nature of my heavenly father, we call that sanctification. We're becoming more and more like Christ. And so we have this battle going on. And John says, we are now children of two parents. An earthly nature and a spiritual nature. They just reside in us, but it is part of us. And that's why John can say in such straight and at times almost painfully difficult to hear phrases when he says, no one who has been born of God, can live in continual, unrepentant sin. I stand before you today to say that on the authority of God's Word, it is impossible for a person to be born of God and to live in ongoing, habitual, unrepentant sin. We have a son whom we dearly love who has turned his back on God. Who has said, Dad, I don't believe that stuff anymore. I want to go on my own life. I want with all my heart to believe that Ben is a believer. I want with all my heart to believe that he has just wandered away and that someday he will come back. And maybe he will. But I must in my mind treat him as if he were a lost man. I must reach out to him as if he does not know Christ. Because the scripture says he cannot be born of God if he lives in continual, habitual, unrepentant sin. And so I know how hard it is for some of you to hear. Because I know how hard it was for me to hear. But what that does for those of us who are his children is it gives us that wonderful reminder that when we sin, when we turn away from, when we follow our old nature instead of our new one, and we have that almost gut-wrenching pain in us knowing that we're not where we should be. That that is that new nature crying out in us. That new DNA that has been implanted in us. So John makes it very clear. He says either you are here or you are here. You are either in God. You have either had that implanted in your life. You have been inoculated, incarnated with the nature of God or you have not. And the way you know is by how you live. I am so glad that somebody in the Bible said what we all want to be true but are afraid to say. 
It wasn't just John the Baptist that said, you want to be show repentance? You go home and let me see some evidence of your repentance. John says the same thing. John says, do you want to know who the children of God are and who the children of the Antichrist are? Watch how they live. This morning, if you were in Bible study, somewhere along the line, when you got to John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, you were talking about how do the followers of a false teacher provide a red flag for whether the teacher is truly from God or not. Watch how people live. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who continues to commit sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this very purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He is not able to continue in sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. We are children of God. You do not have to walk this path alone. You do not have to fight for Christ's likeness. It's in your DNA. You just have to yield to it. You don't have to see the Holy Spirit just as some kind of a guide that you can turn on or turn off, like the radio, whether you want to listen to what it says or not. The Holy Spirit lives in us and is part of us. You see, I have to close with this because that really is all God wanted me to tell you today. Although there are 12 sermons in that, 10 verses, and I wish I could have preached one of the other ones. We are his children. We carry his DNA. We go to those who are outside of the faith, outside of the life of Christ, outside of the family of God. We share with them from our own experience what is happening inside of us, how God is working with us, how he is working in us, how he is working through us, how he is transforming us. This is where we take John and we link it back to Paul and the concept of metamorphosis, being made into something that we were not before. And we go knowing that every day, through the bad times and the good times, through the times that we drift away and then, are, and then are convicted and repent and come back into line, that all that time God is doing his work of cleansing and purifying and making us. And as John said, we know we're his children now. We don't know what we're going to be when that time comes. But we know that we'll be like him because we have his DNA in us. So how do you respond to something like that? Well, usually, you, you, know what our, you know what our preacher's job is, don't you? We come to a point in the sermon where we have to make you feel guilty about something. We have to make you feel bad about something so that you want to get yourself right. So we'll find some way to make you feel bad. And if you think back over all your years sitting in worship services where they had, re had responses or invitation times, it's almost always about, you know, you may not be right with the Lord right now. You may be far away from God. 
And you need to get your heart right again. So we want to invite you to do that. You may be a non-believer. You may not have put your trust in Jesus Christ. We want to invite you today to do that. And you know what? That invitation is still there. But you know what? The biggest thing I want to say to you today is this should be a day just for shouting. This is a day for saying, I never thought about it quite that way before. I knew that Christ lived in me. I understood all that. But I still kind of thought of it as like, like, like we were kind of twins or something. Like, like he's like the big brother. I'm the little brother. But he says, no, 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 no. I have injected my Father's DNA into you so that by your very nature, if you will just yield to that, you will grow. You will be able to grow in Christ's likeness. And you will not drift away. That's... You, <laughs> You want to know what the secret of the perseverance of the saints is, or eternal security, whatever you want to call it. It's not anything you do. It's in the fact that God has injected his DNA into you, and he will not deny himself. So you should be rejoicing today if you're a child of God. You should be saying, I just never thought about the fact that I literally have God's spiritual DNA implanted into my life and into my heart so that as I wrestle with my sin, as Jerry Bridges said so well, every temptation is just one more opportunity to say no. It doesn't have to be a battle. Just say no. Just let that DNA in you say, no, I'm not going to go there. Look at that. Nope, not going to look at it. No, thank you. Not interested. That's all it is. Because he dwells in you. So we're going to sing. For those of us that need to do some plumb line readjustments the plumb line of god's word is hanging here you're over here or you're over here or you're back here or you're up here you get yourself back to where you need to be you're not a believer you thought you could figure it out on yourself but you felt a queasy familiarity with that opening description because when you look at yourself for who you really are you know that you're never going to get this figured out on your own you're never going to figure it out on your own and he offers, he's standing right there with the basin and the new clothes saying, just let me, let me do what you can't do. But for the rest of us, this is a time for saying, thank you. Thank you, Father, for helping me understand that I am truly your child. Not just juridically, not just on paper, not just by some strange title. I truly am your child. And I thank you for that. Father, that is our response to you. That you would help us to recognize the fact that you have done something in us that goes beyond just our finite mind's way of understanding. We all understand adoption. We even understand justification. That's a pretty relatively simple concept. But to understand how you could literally implant yourself into our lives not as a guest, not as some foreign stuff, not like a heart transplant or something. You literally become part of our DNA, spiritually speaking. And so because of that, we can rejoice because we know, as John said, such we are. We are your sons and your daughters. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.